Welcome to Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. I'm Pranav, and today with Nakin, our guest is Michaela Kitten, epidemiologist at the Santa Cruz County Public Health Department. We talked to Michaela about UCLA acapella and living on the same floor as me freshman year. Michaela talked to Nakin about her MPH thesis on flesh-eating bacteria. And finally, Michaela got to tell us about how she's personally had to evolve and step up after quickly being thrusted under the COVID-19 limelight and assuming responsibility for 300,000 local citizens. So without further ado, here is our interview. Hi, Michaela. Thank you for joining us on Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So because this is a UCLA-themed podcast, one of the things that we always like to do is ask one of the questions that current applicants have to answer as part of the application. And oh. as always, we think it serves as a great introduction for our listeners. So the prompt we chose for you is, every person has a creative side, and it can be expressed in many ways. Problem solving, original and innovative thinking, and artistically, to name a few. Describe how you express your creative side. Hmm, this is a good one. Um, well, I think, you know, growing up, I expressed my creative side a lot more. Um, I did a lot of singing and um, performing arts, a lot of um, dancing too. And even when I was at UCLA, I was in an acapella group. And so I've always really enjoyed connecting with people through music um, as kind of a hobby. But I guess um, professionally, you know, creativity comes in all, all the time, especially when you work for a local um, county government situation like I do myself, where um, you're presented with all of these issues and especially in a pandemic right now of, um, you know, uh, health inequities or just budget cuts that come out of nowhere and constantly trying to brainstorm, you know, who to partner with um, to, to get the job done and um, how to get the information you need uh, and that kind of thing. So I, I think my, my path on creativity has <laughs> goes, goes across the board, but um, yeah, I think. Kayla's saying we were on the same floor. Yes. I just, I seem to remember, I, I seem to remember you or um, another Pranav who came to Reber Hall on the global health floor a That's lot. Me. That's me. It was you? That, that, that was me, yes. Yes. And so um, I just remember, because a lot of the time, especially in Reber Hall, I worked in in you know those the common areas a lot because the rooms were so stuffy and crowded and so I, I always saw a lot of people walk in and out of there all the time and I, I swear I saw you and then um, I think you were probably friends with one of my roommates too so I just I feel like I saw you all the time but I don't have like a specific instance where I was like inter like I have a memory of like meeting you I just like I feel like I've seen you and I like know who you are, even though it's been a very, very long time. Um, what where were you living freshman year? Uh, I was in Hedrick Hall, Seven North, the top of the hill. Yeah, you had to climb oh, those man. extra steps. Yeah, yeah. tough. <laughs> All right, so, so let's 
jump back into to UCLA and, and your time there. So you were a biology major and minored in global studies. Kind of what interested you in those fields and tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna be very, uh, very stereotypical here. I, I started UCLA thinking I was um, going to become a doctor. And so I had signed up for all the pre-med classes and I, I had actually started out as a Phi-Sci major or um, I think they're now calling it something slightly differently, like physiological science, something or other. But um, kind of about halfway through the program, realized that I, I didn't really, I wasn't really enjoying the classes anymore. Um, not because I didn't like chemistry or physics, but because I was just more interested in, you know, studying society and our and the systems that exist and how all of those things come into play and to our health and kind of like um really thinking about like social determinants of health and um so I I decided that I wanted and I also wanted a little bit more flexibility in my major so I actually ended up changing it to biology and then um getting a, a minor in global studies because it allowed me to you know take more classes and politics and economics and things that looked at society and culture. And um, at the time, UCLA didn't have a public health major. I don't know if they ever changed that for undergrads, but so I kind of created my own of what I like thought public health was without ever actually taking a public health class. Um, so I had like majored in general biology, minored in global studies, and then it actually also allowed me to study abroad um, which was really such a great experience, and I really hope Bruins get a chance to do that um, now, too. Well, maybe not at this very moment, but <laughs> in the future, like, at least I would encourage people, um, pandemic aside, but. Michaela, it sounds like you were kind of thinking pre-med and, and working your way through some of those classes. Yeah. How did you kind of encounter epidemiology, and where did an interest in that kind of grow from? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's kind of a weird, long story. Um, and I, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I think a lot of people in public health have, like, these tangential routes that they take before they get to be, being in public health. But um, I, so when I had studied abroad, I had chosen to study abroad in Ghana, West Africa, um, at the University of Accra. Um, because they offered, in addition to, you know, the, the kinds of classes that they offered, they also had internship opportunities at the university and um, a lot of uh, partnering with other local agencies. So it just seemed like such a good opportunity. But um, I, incidentally, I had studied abroad during the Ebola um, outbreak of West Africa in 2014. And it was kind of like my first like real um, time that I really thought about like pandemics or infectious diseases and you know who gets sick where and why kind of thing um, and then I just happened to be living there so it's just very much in my face all the time um, and I uh, actually while studying abroad had worked with um, an epidemiologist at the West African AIDS Foundation um, and so it's just such a great learning experience and exposure. And so when I returned, that's really what kicked off my interest in epidemiology. And I ended up taking um, 
uh, an epidemiology course at the grad grad school uh, at UCLA's School of Public Health, a Fielding School of Public Health, I think it's called, and um, had also come back and decided to do more public health research um, at AIDS Project Los Angeles. So it's kind of where it went. I mean, I was always kind of interested in this idea of public health, but um, I think that kind of lived experience helped a lot to shape what I decided to do. Through uh, being in Africa around the time where Ebola broke out, kind of what were your initial thoughts and how did you acclimate? Yeah, I well, I definitely panicked at first um, because nobody said anything to me from like UCEAP, like as I'm getting on the flight that, oh, by the way, um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of travel warnings right now. Um, and it wasn't until I got there and um, <clears throat> the school had actually had to postpone the start of classes because for a while because uh, of Ebola, because um, the University of Accra is a really great university. Um, but they allow students, very similar to others, to come from all over um, the country and actually all over Africa too. And so um, they they had like set up a lot of screening processes for incoming students, and so that took some time. And and um, at the simultaneously, um, Accra also had a cholera outbreak, um, and. So there was that going on, and I think there were also um, a few uh, like strikes happening at the university. So it was a very, um, you know, just eventful time <laughs> to be there. Um, although I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and in terms of my overall experience, the the first month I think was was difficult in terms of adjusting to all of these different changing things but um because classes had been delayed i had more time to kind of adjust to the new culture the new um, way of life you know i um from where i was living in accra i actually didn't have running water or electricity most of the time so that was like another thing to get used to especially at UCLA I'm so used to like cramming and writing essays at like 11 59 p.m like right before it's doing you really can't do that in a, in a in a country um like Ghana because um you're not guaranteed to have electricity at 11 59 p.m um so so anyway so it so I, it definitely had some adjustments as a student, but it was also such an incredible um, opportunity to to learn about the country's history, uh, kind of like the long long term um, impacts of things um, of slavery and their um, the country's history with that, um, and also um, getting acquainted with um, the language there. So. Um, you know, I, I had so much support from the University of Accra and um, to our UCEAP, like, main contact there that it, it was uh, such a wonderful experience overall, but definitely a, an adjustment. Um, but I loved it. I missed it. <laughs> I have to go back. As you were kind of wrapping up your, your time at UCLA, were you thinking after this experience in Ghana, a career in epidemiology, and kind of how did you end up 
deciding to to apply to an MPH program and mm -hmm. what made you chose Emory? Yeah, um, so I came back and I had pretty much decided yes, public health, yes, Emory. Um, keep in mind by the time I had, or, sorry, not Emory, um, yes, epidemiology. I hadn't decided Emory at that point. Um, but I had come back and it was basically I had one more quarter before graduating. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, wow, I don't have a whole lot of time to figure this out. Um, so I, I ended up taking a gap year um, to kind of figure things out and figure out where I wanted to study and which, um, you know, which schools would be the best fit for my main interest, which was infectious diseases. Um, epidemiology uh, and, and public health, you know, studies all kinds of diseases from um, things like mental health or, um, you know, STDs or overdoses, other chronic conditions. So, um, you know, there really could have been a, a number of focuses. And so because I was interested in, in infectious diseases, I had um, <clears throat> looked at programs that had strengths in that area. And what really pulled me to Emory was that they were literally right across the street from the CDC. And they had a specific work study program and kind of agreement with CDC where um, students from Emory could um, work at CDC um, and there were specific funding opportunities from both Emory and CDC to do that. Um, and they kind of, CDC kind of uses it also as a feeder program for when people graduate from Emory um, to, you know, work there. I didn't go down that path. I, I know a lot of my, um, a lot of other alumni and, and students from Emory have um, and have really had great careers out of it as well. But so that was what really drew me um, to Emory. And it was also just so nice coming from a really big public school, which as much as I love UCLA, I oftentimes just felt like a number in the classroom um, to going to a, a private school that was a little bit smaller and could really provide me the level of support that I wanted out of a grad program. A regular MPH program in general kind of makes has like five four or five like very basic courses that you absolutely have to take so that you have a basic understanding of things like behavioral sciences health policy management environmental health and then um, in terms of where it differs for epidemiology is taking a lot of classes and coursework on statistics um, specifically biostats and different methods epidemiology methods um, and I took why is uh, the statistics really important? Having a statistics background, I think, is really important in public health because um, when you're tracking diseases, it's all part of, you know, the, the structure that public health has created from when people are tested to where that data is, being, is then going and how it's going to be interpreted and, you know, what actions you can actually take based of based off of that data. And it's really important to have epidemiologists and people um, with a you know, strong background in data literacy in general to be able to say which populations to target your interventions to have the most impact or um, how to um, you know, uh, decrease um, health disparities 
or, um, you know, to actually detect an outbreak um, and figure out, you know, is, is this sudden increase in cases significant or is this something that we would expect based off of other trends that we're seeing? And so um, having a statistics background is, um, is basically crucial to understanding if your program is working or if, um, you know, what policies or um, you should be creating or where money should be thrown at, basically. Um, and I think the, the best public health um, <clears throat> departments, you know, really try to integrate data and um, epidemiologists into the decision-making process. At UCLA, I didn't know how to code. I wasn't really part of my curriculum. And then I went to grad school and I was like, oh, this is something I have to do now. Um, <laughs> and so I, I learned how to um, code in SAS um, and R. Um, although now it just seems like it's everywhere in my career, they're trying to get me to learn even more statistical programs like Stata or um, even SPSS is mentioned sometimes, and um, and I, I keep having to add tools to my tool belt. But um, yeah, that's that's also definitely part of the the curriculum. Um, but also, what's what was part of the curriculum is I actually had to write an entire thesis. Um, it was a master's thesis, so it's not like a dissertation. It's not super long, but um, was definitely um, a really stressful. And, a uh, long process and um, uh, I mean, I think, I, I don't know if all MPH programs require it, but definitely at Emory, um, they have a very rigorous epi track and the requirement there. So maybe tell us a little bit about what your thesis was about and what it took to put that together. Sure. So um, while I was at Emory, um, I had had the opportunity um, to work as kind of an intern or assistant at um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, right across the street in their enteric epidemiology branch. And so for my thesis, um, I did oh, probably like a, a 20 year trend analysis looking at how Vibrio vulnificus, which is um, like a back, flesh-eating bacteria almost, um, <laughs> kind of actually very deadly, um, how the mortality trends in that data have changed over time and, um, and trying to pinpoint maybe what, why those trends have happened or what kind of associations we can draw from the data to understand um, nationwide different patterns in um, you know, who was more likely to die from, um, from uh, Vibrio vulnificus, um, which is in the same family as um, cholera, by the way. Um, and so that, that, was, that was basically my thesis. And um, I actually didn't end up, I think the ultimate conclusion from my thesis was how you got infected really determined um, you know, the likelihood of a more severe outcome um, for, for the disease. So for example, whether or not you got it from eating raw shellfish um, versus going out into the ocean and having had like an open wound and um, 
being infected that way if you were exposed to like really dirty water. Um, so anyways, um, it's a good experience. Never again. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about your current role now. You're at the County of Santa Cruz Health Services as an mm -hmm. epidemiologist, kind of how many lives are you responsible for and, and kind of what's your, uh, you know, if there was a job listing, what would your roles be? And then kind of what has your focus been as of late? Oh my gosh, so many good questions. Um, my role in the response has changed pretty, <sighs> a lot actually. Um, but I have, so um, my title is just epidemiologist um, and I have, so far in the response, my role has really varied from kind of being a quote unquote local subject matter expert, although I say that with you know, great hesitancy and humility because um, I feel like nobody can be a true subject matter expert on an emerging infectious disease, but, but that also you know, CDC and some of the other um, universities who are constantly publishing things about that daily are you know, probably truly the subject matter experts, but um, being involved in terms of um, you know, trying to stay up on the most update guidance and making recommendations for um, physicians when they call or, um, you know, helping to guide the case investigations and contact tra tracing. Um, I'm kind of serve as a supportive role in my unit, um, communicable disease unit, where I um, collaborate with a lot of public health nurses. Um, so whenever someone tests positive for COVID-19, We'll get the lab result. We also get negative lab results, so that's one other thing. Um, and someone tests positive, and we have to contact them, um, collect a certain amount of information, and um, make sure that they have um, access to care, and try and figure out, you know, where they might have been exposed or who they might have um, infected, as well. Um, and so that's where that contact tracing piece comes in. I've also been involved in something called disease modeling, which um, I have collaborated with um, a statistician at uh, UC Santa Cruz um, to help create, you know, predictive models to understand um, how many people in our county will be hospitalized at any one point and understanding, um, you know, the trying to estimate the level of prevalence in our community um, and also making projections to understand, like, how much PPE are we going to need at, like, the height of this or um you know uh where where does m more messaging need to happen where where are our clusters occurring um and kind of helping to guide those conversations so it's really been um i know i just said a lot of things um but it's really just to say that i think my role has um really jumped all over the place and i think that's part of the nature of being an epidemiologist during a pandemic, but also just the fact that I work at a local health department. Um, but if um, it's when one of the questions you had asked was um, like, you know, what, what is your, what, what like title would you give yourself right now? And it's, um, it's kind of funny as I think when ep people hear about epidemiologists, they like some people imagine like people walking down the street in like hazmat suits, which is not something that I do. I don't go out um, and like invade people's homes to like collect specimen or something. Um, and um, also sometimes people when they hear epidemiology, 
they or epidemiologists they think of like dermatology which is like something totally different and like related to skin um and um my parents kind of imagined me as like you know also going out in the field a lot and um and but to be honest a lot of my work and sometimes i go out into the field and what that means is like usually a site visit um at you know either like a skilled nursing facility or whatnot or but usually a lot of the work that I that I do is um, over the phone and like talking and interviewing people that way um, and running a lot of data analyses. So writing code. So it's like way nerdier and less cool than it sounds. <laughs> um, but um, I think it's still like really useful and, and helpful. And um, I really enjoy it. I feel like every day something's different that I do something different. Yeah. So it sounds like this COVID uh, situation has been probably the most challenging hands-on role for you. How yeah. personally has it affected you in terms of your growth in the industry and, and maybe personally, maybe improving as a leader or communicating? Yeah. Well, it's such, a, it's such a really good question and I'm glad you asked. I, um, I'll be quite honest, you know, I, this happened in January and I had it was about a year and a half. I was out of school for about a year and a half. And then suddenly I'm like thrown in this position where, um, you know, uh, my health officer is relying on me for, you know, intel, you know, and, and I've been asked for, to help in so many different ways. Um, and I, and I tend to be, um, you probably can't tell this, but I tend to be kind of like soft-spoken and um, a little bit more reserved. <laughs> um, but I I can't be in this situation, you know, everyone's turning to me oftentimes to have answers. Um, and I'm not saying this as I'm not the, you know, lead in this response. Um, I definitely am more of a supportive role. Um, but there's still a lot of pressure to be had on those supportive roles underneath positions like um, our health officer has. Um, and so I've but you know, I've I've had to do press conferences. I've, which is hilarious because I have absolutely no public speaking skills. But um, I've had to do press conferences. I, um, I've ha I've done interviews on podcasts, not just like this, but like yesterday NPR called, and so like <laughs> I was talking to someone from NPR, um, and it, it just you know things that I would have never thought I would have to do, especially. Um, being where I am in my career, but just kind of having to step up to the plate and be like, okay, I have to do this. And, you know, I, my, my community and, you know, our health officer need me. So I have to step up. And it's, it's been really challenging. I think I've really grown as a person and like figuring out how to actually de-stress um, and, uh, really enforce boundaries so that at some point in the evening I turn off the part of my brain that thinks about COVID-19 um, but it's so yeah I think I've I've definitely matured as a, a person but definitely professionally um, uh, I've, I've had to do a lot of growing yeah and fast. <laughs> so we, we kind of want you to, to weigh in here and give us a couple of takeaways. So what should Bruins and specifically Bay Area Bruins, what do they need to know right now about the pandemic 
and how can they be proactive for future pandemics? Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, so I think uh, a major takeaway, and um, uh, and, and unfortunately, this is happening all over the country where people are forgetting that COVID-19 is still here. I think a lot of people and in a lot of states we had shelter in place for so long and suddenly, you know, different restrictions are being lifted um, because, you know, the economy is suffering. Um, but, you know, also because, um, you know, there's only so long that people can be cooped up in their homes. <laughs> um, but you know COVID-19 hasn't gone away and um, we don't have a vaccine we don't have a cure for it um, and the prevalence in most places unless you're in New York City and even then it's you know not at the point where we would have something called herd immunity um, is very low it's less than five percent and so um, you know you you still have to um, be very careful in some of the behaviors and um, personally, and then, you know, um, also, you know, when you're in the workplace. And so I just really encourage um, Bruins and, and people who want to um, be prepared for the second wave of COVID-19 because it's coming. Um, it's probably gonna coincide with um, the flu season in the fall um, is just to, and you know, Sorry, I know I'm like going back and forth a lot, but um, you know, cases are still on the rise in California. Um, and part of that is to be expected because we're opening up, but we're also opening things up at a, an extremely fast pace. Um, you know, just really think about ways that you can um, ensure that you are maintaining six feet distance if, if you have to um, be in person at work or um, if you can't work remotely or um, uh, if you have mild symptoms, please try and access testing. Um, and um, and something that I wish I could tell everyone, um, over the weekends, like, please do not come to Santa Cruz. I feel like people are now thinking, oh, COVID-19 is gone. I'm going to go straight to the beach. And so we get, like, crowds and crowds of people and tourists. Um, so just, like, really just honestly like I just would really urge people to not forget that we are still in a pandemic um, and that you know the the continued work that we do now will really help us win in the fall and um, you know and help buy us more time until we really do have a vaccine because that's really going to be the when, when it's over our two final questions maybe we talked a little bit about UCLA memories um, mm -hmm. on the global health floor but what was your favorite UCLA memory overall um, and who's your favorite UCLA Bruin oh my gosh um, I think my favorite UCLA memory um, well I mean it's kind of funny I was gonna say studying abroad but that wasn't even at UCLA <laughs> Um, but I, I think if I had to pick a memory that was specific to UCLA, I'd probably have to go back to the acapella group that I was in. Um, I really enjoyed um, uh, the, just the friendships that I had through that. Um, I was in Cadenza acapella group and um, just 
really just loved performing. Um, and sometimes the performances were really great and, and other times they were just really fun. <laughs> Not perfect, but just so much fun. Um, and I remember one time we actually had the chance to record in a studio and I was so amazing. Like I, I have, I feel like there's no way I would have had that opportunity had I not like gone to a school like UCLA and um, had met so many really talented, amazing musicians. So um, yeah. And then, sorry, your next question was uh, my favorite Bruin. Yeah. Um, so I, I was actually going to go with a professor that I had. Um, his name is Dr. Sue. I, I'm not sure if he's still teaching um, at UCLA, but he was part of the faculty at the Fielding School of Public Health. Um, and he was the teacher that taught me Epidemiology 101. And um, he just really inspired me and was so, um, so supportive in me going into epidemiology. He wrote a few letters of recommendation for me, but he also went to UCLA um, <clears throat> in their grad school, grad program for epidemiology. I think he also got his PhD there. Um, and uh, I just really admired just the way that he taught and communicated to his students and was just so engaging um, and uh, you know, after I took that class, I was absolutely certain that I, this is something that I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I've hands down, um, definitely my favorite Bruin. Thank you so much for joining us on Bruin One Ear and Out the Other. But before we let you go, feel free to give us a 30 second plug for something going on in your life. Oh, a 30 second plug? Um, I don't, well, um, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, I the opposite of a plug earlier, which was don't come to Santa Cruz. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> don't come to Santa Cruz. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, and that's one of the reasons. Our, so our health officer has had to um, limit the the hours that people can use the beaches from like eleven to five to like discourage tourism and people from coming over the hill. And so yeah, I yeah don't come to Santa Cruz. <laughs> We're beautiful and we're doing really well in this pandemic and we want to keep it that way. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a really weird note to end on. Thanks again to Michaela for joining us on the podcast. To our listeners, feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or guest recommendations at Bruin, the number one year at gmail.com. And hopefully everything we talked about today didn't go Bruin one ear and out the other.